I was thinking about Father's Day, and I was thinking about all the wise things my dad taught me. Uh, I don't know if you had a dad who loved to give wisdom to you. Like, um, one of my favorite sayings was, um, why are you crying? Do you need me to give you something to cry about? Did anybody else have that one? Any? Yeah, yeah. That, probably not his wisest statement. Well, one of my dad's sayings was, um, any job worth doing is worth doing well. And then he later added to it, on time in the first time. So any job worth doing was worth doing well. And so from that, I just learned that you needed to care about your jobs. And I don't know how many of you come out of your job with a common emotion, but when I talk to people about how they feel about work or the emotions they have about work, one of the most common emotions that I hear back is dread. And my first jobs were nothing like dread. The first job I remember having was mowing the lawn, and I was so excited to mow the lawn. I tried to do it when I was 10, but I could not push the mower or start it because I grew up in an era where self-propelled mowers were just coming on the scene, and this red Toro was good enough for him, so it's good enough for me. So I didn't get to do it when I was 10, but when I was 11, then I got to push the mower. And you have to imagine, it's a little bit like this. I mean... I can't start it. Well, I I started about once out of every six times, so I have vivid memories of my dad coming home from work at noon, eating a sandwich, talking to my mom for a few minutes, and then coming out in his suit pants and his tie, starting the lawnmower for me, and then putting on his coat and going back to work. And when we started mowing the lawn, he would outline the lawn for me, and I would have to follow him around. I look like a little puppy as he outlined the lawn. And then he would stop, and remember, there's no little um, quick-release safety valve, so he has to turn the whole thing off, and he'd say, okay, when you get to this part of the lawn, you need to, you need to get around this, or you need to do this, and, and I would, yes, Dad, okay, I got it. But I was so excited to have a job to find this place that I could contribute to the family. And, and so I would start, and I would finish, and I felt very proud until the day I finally got to the point where I could do the whole lawn, including outlining the lawn. You know, this is the strip that you go around and you avoid all the hazardous things. And I remember him stopping at one point when we got to the side of the house because on the side of our house and this back corner of our house, there was no landscaping, so we had to go right up to the concrete. And there's this 12-foot wide, 2-inch high concrete drain spout thing, and it went out 2 or 3 feet. And so he's like, you always go around this. You go down you go around, then you come back, then you gotta pull it back out away from the house, then you gotta turn it, then you gotta go forward, then you gotta slide it back in so that you get all the way to the corner and then come out. Well, I mean, come on. Left turn, left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn, up, forward, back, I mean. And, and I, I was mowing the lawn and I did a great job on the front corner with no trees. And, and so I was coming around the back and I'm like, Okay, my dad set the mower at three inches high. I mean, this is pretty good. At 11, I know that the the mower is set three inches high. So I'm thinking, okay, spinning blade, 
Yes, he told me that, you know, the blade spins, it's metal, and even though it could go on the concrete, it's not made to cut concrete, and you will wreck the mower if you go on top of this. I just thought in my mind, hey, the mower is cutting three-inch grass, the downspout little thing, concrete thing, is only two inches, that leaves me one inch, and besides, I'm gonna just go over it. I'm not gonna actually cut it, so I've got plenty of room. So I go down the side of the house, and then I push down on the back to lift up the front wheels, and and make the 90 degree turn, and all I'm gonna do is go right over the top of it. I mean, as soon as the front wheels get down, I'm gonna lift the back wheels and go on my weary, merry way, just making one turn, because I'm learning. I just don't wanna work hard. I wanna work smart, too, and I only wanna make one turn, and then go right down the side of the house, and so that's what I do. I push the thing down, I turn it around, I go down, and there is not an inch of clearance on the mower, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and there is smoke coming up from the mower, and the automatic safety valve, which doesn't exist, the little clutch, yeah, that, that's not there. The mower just stops all by itself. My mom runs out of the house. What happened? And there's smoke going, and I'm like, I didn't do it right like Dad said. And so I had to sit and wait for him to come home, and he never, he never yelled at me. His face, though, was priceless. So can you tell me again how this happened? Well, I never, I never really thought I was lazy. But this study in Proverbs has given me a whole new look on what it means to be wise in our work and what it means to be lazy. Now, if, you've, if you're wondering if you really fit into the lazy category, uh, I have some categories for you. So if you've ever left your socks next to the hamper but not in the hamper, you might need to listen to this message. If you come home from school on the last day of school and your backpack gets slung into the corner with its book still in it and the lunch still in it and all of a sudden you plop down in front of the TV and two hours later your mama has to dig through your backpack and be like, why is your lunchbox still in here? You might need to listen to this message. If you're a young professional and there are 40% of you according to the New York Times out there that says it's too much work to eat cereal in the morning because come on, you have to take the box out of the cupboard and then take the, cu the milk out of the fridge and then you gotta get a spoon and a bowl and you gotta pour the cereal in and then the milk in and then you gotta eat it and then you still have two things to wash let alone putting it back. Well, 40% of young professionals out there say eating a bowl of cereal is too much work. Cereal sales dropped 5% from 2009 to 2014, despite the fact that more Americans are eating breakfast than ever. So you might need to listen if that's your category. And finally, if you know what this is, anybody guess? Toilet paper, but it's not actually the whole roll. See, it's this. If you've ever seen this in your house, look closely at the picture, friends. What do you see in the bottom right corner? There's a whole roll about three feet away. It's my house. <laughs> I did not have to go find a picture online. I just walked into the bathroom one day and went. So if that's you, 
you might need to hear this message on work. See, from the beginning of scripture, we get a picture of what God thinks about work. In the Mesopotamian mythology and in the the Eastern, Near Eastern, ancient mythology, the gods existed and created humans to provide food for them so they didn't have to work. And from the very beginning of scripture, we get in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He got his hands in the dirt in Genesis 2, and he put them in the mud. He was a manual laborer, and he brought forth produce. He brought forth trees. He brought forth humankind. And he provided food for us. That is the picture that we get from the very beginning of scripture about work. And then he puts a man and a woman in a garden to work and keep it. We talked a little bit about that last week with Stephanie. This idea of work is to cultivate and till the potential out of something. And then the guarding was this idea of keeping or protecting. And so over and over in scripture, we get those two things of working and keeping throughout the story. And God has some thoughts about work. As we are made in his divine image to reflect his his character, we are made to do that through our attitudes and our relationships with one another. We are, we are to do that with our reproduction. We are to do that with our work and with our rest. That's how God thinks about work. He holds it very, very, very high. So how can we learn to reflect God's image when we work? Our reading is starting in Proverbs. We've been in this series called Get Wise, where we're looking at the wisdom that God gives us from Solomon, mostly Solomon's perspective. And we'll start in Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. Yet it stores provisions in the summer and it gathers its food in the winter. Or it gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. This is God's word for us today. Do you take a moment and pray with me? God, we often read Proverbs. I often read Proverbs and think, oh, that's nice. I should should think more about that and then go on with my day. But today, especially, God, I pray that we would really stop and spend some moments thinking about your word and what it means, what it means to work, what it means to reflect your image, and the warnings that you give us. Speak to our hearts, minds, and souls. Amen. Well, if you look closely at this proverb, who is it written to? I heard it. I heard it. The lazy person, the sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Now, a slug, here's a great picture of a slug. Oh, I just, oh, I love this picture. No, I, a slug is sort of like a snail, and you'd think slugs would be a lot faster, because think about it, snails have to carry their house around on their back all the time. But slugs, they're just a snail-like creature free to roam about wherever, except you can't really tell where they're going. 
They don't have any direction in their life. They just slowly move occasionally. And, and they're the, where this word sluggard comes from. Proverbs 26 gives us some of the characteristics of slugs. If you want to turn there, if you've got fast fingers. The first, the sluggard says it sleeps too much. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns in its bed. The sluggard, the lazy person, they love their sleep. They are hinged to their bed. Get that picture of what it means to be hinged to your bed. They can move to the left. They can move to the right. They just don't go anywhere. They want to work, but you'll find them in bed at 7 a.m. You'll probably find them in bed at 9 a.m. You might even find them in bed at 11 a.m. or at 1 p.m. And if they're not sleeping, they're thinking about sleep. They can't wait to get back into bed. They love their sleep. All day long, they're like, oh, I just can't wait to jump back into my bed. I don't know if you've seen these new Slumberland commercials where they've got this fancy adjustable bed, and it's like it's right in the living room, and people jump onto the bed, and they're like in there all day, and the kids come up, and all of a sudden at the end, you'll love this bed, and then everybody's laying it. I'm like, no, you, you don't have to sleep all day. The slugger doesn't like to make forward progress, or they don't like to be pressured about their forward progress. They're, they're, they never say they won't do something, they just don't want to be asked when they will get it done. Proverbs 6 says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your bed? And it's not that they want opportunities to pass by, it's just that minute by minute and opportunity by opportunity, these things just slip by because they're hinged to their bed. Sluggards also are happy to make excuses we see this in Proverbs 26, 13. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. This is, I love this proverb. Like, this is written in a desert. There's a chance of a lion being in the desert about the chance that we would see one roaming through Apple Valley. Why would the sluggard say this? Because, man, if there's a lion in the street, I can't go out. I can't start my work. The, the, the sluggard is, is happy to find the excuses because I might get eaten. I might, there's scary obstacles in the way. It's been said, if, if you don't want to do something, any excuse will do. And if you're a lazy person, then you just find any excuse to not do something because you really don't want to do anything. But if you think about it, anything that's truly worthwhile has lions in the street. Anything that, that truly is daunting, that truly will, f- will advance the kingdom of God, has terrifying responsibilities. It's probably got the chance for painful disappointment. And it's got incredible challenges. There's always lions in the street. The lazy person says, that's why I can't do it. But the person that's the wise worker says, In spite of those scary obstacles, I will move forward because I know that there's a God who stands before me and behind me and beside me and his spirit is within me and whether or not I fail or succeed, he loves me. That's what the wise person says, but the slug will say, I'll make excuse after excuse after excuse, either because they lack the courage or the motivation to accomplish something. 
they're happy to make excuses. The sluggard is also in Proverbs 26, 15, hopeless in completing a task. Proverbs 26, 15 says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish because he's too lazy to bring it back up to his mouth. Just picture that. You can pick your bowl, Skittles, Fruit Loops. I had Finding Dory cereal this morning for Father's Day. I'm like, woo, lucky charms. Stuck my hand in it, thought, hmm, I wonder if I'll just give the kids a little message this morning. No, I didn't. Stick my hand in the dish, can't even bring it back to my mouth. They don't want to complete the task. They, they choose to put things off till the last minute. That way, if anything goes wrong, then they can say, oh, I, I couldn't make it. You know, this, this thing happened over here. They rarely finish what they start. They find any excuse to not complete it. They get tired quickly, and they give up easily. They probably blame everyone and everything else for their failure to accomplish something rather than admit they couldn't do it. They're lazy. They plan to fail because they fail to plan. They'd rather live minute by minute, reacting to whatever comes their way instead of attempting with God to change their situation. Man, I don't know about you, but that one... Oh, it's hard for me to hear. Do I really fail to plan because I plan to fail? Or do I fail to plan because I, do I plan to fail because I fail to plan? Would I rather respond in the moment rather than take the careful calculation? And moment by moment and minute by minute, the lazy person's life, the lazy person lets opportunity slip by. They are haughty in their self-assessment. This comes from Proverbs 26, 16. We're still in the same chunk of scripture here talking about the lazy person's characteristics in Proverbs 26, but this one says, sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly or answer with tact, answer with wisdom. The person who is lazy will always say, there's this reason why I can't do this and I will continue to argue with you until you finally walk away from me. Because they think, why take action when you can find any reason why you're right and the rest of the world is wrong? They would rather complain about things being unfair than actually working towards finding a solution. So it's not even worth arguing with a lazy person. Probably the thing that is the saddest aspect about the lazy person comes from Proverbs 24. They're always hungry. They're never satisfied. Proverbs 24 says that the wise person says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Think about that picture. Remember, this is a Mediterranean community. They would grow grapes. They would grow um, olives. They would make olive oil or wine as just a few things. So vineyards were very much a part of what they did. And instead of having plants growing up, they had thorns growing up. They didn't see the vines. The person says, I see thorns. And instead of seeds and water on the ground, they see weeds. Now, I'm no great gardener, but thorns and weeds do not help my plants grow. And then 
the walls or the fences that you would put up to keep the pests out are broken down. So this is what the wise person walks by and sees from the, the work of the lazy person. The things that they should see, the water and the seeds and the protection are gone and instead thorns and weeds and broken down walls. He says, I applied to my heart what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. And he repeats what we read in Proverbs 6. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. The reason that the lazy person will always be hungry is they never take the initiative to fulfill the desires that they really want. And if they can't do that with the physical things of their life, how can they do that with the spiritual things of their life? Because God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And how many of us have half-heartedly sought God and then wondered why he's so quiet? We've half-heartedly prayed to him. We've half-heartedly asked him for something. We've half-heartedly hoped that our situation could change And then we blame God when it doesn't. They are always hungry. They are never satisfied. Now, I can tell you what God did in my heart, but it's more important for you to ask God's spirit what he's doing in your heart. When you didn't accomplish something the last time, did you find an excuse? Did you talk about discipline? or effort, or performance, or lack of discipline, or lack of effort, or lack of performance. See, the hard news is that God loves us so much that he doesn't do our work for us. Because he accomplished the greatest work of all when he lived and sent Jesus to live this life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we needed to die for us so that we could have life with him. He has done all the great work And he invites us to join him in his work. But he won't do it for us. He loves us way too much for that. And Jesus says in John 4 that his nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and to finish his work. And then in John 17, Jesus says, God, I have brought you glory by completing the work you've given me to do. Jesus knew that life was about working with God. Yes, it was about resting with God. We'll get there in a second. But it was about working with God. So if there's any conviction in your heart like I knew there was in mine as I read about being lazy, then we can learn, actually, Proverbs 6 says, from the ant. To consider the ant. The ant is a very active worker. If you're a wise worker, you get going. They might be the smallest creatures on the earth, but they started building cities long before humans ruled the world. Think about it. There's never been an overweight couch potato ant. The only ant I've ever seen standing still or lying there is one squashed. I don't know about you. There's actually someone who studied sleeping ants, but they're very rare. They get moving. They get going. They don't need a supervisor. They don't need a motivational seminar. They don't need a therapist. They just go work. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25. He compares the kingdom of God to a person going on a journey. And he says, 
that the landowner came and he gave five bags of gold to one servant, he gave two bags of gold to another servant, and he gave one bag of gold to the third servant, each according to their abilities. And I would love the scripture to say this. The third servant said, man, why didn't I get five bags? You know, I do a lot for this guy. I, I mean, I compliment him all the time. It's just not fair. We don't get that. I'd like it to be there, but we don't get that. No, it says that the person with five bags of gold immediately put that money to work and got five more. The second one did the same and got two, started with two, got two more. And the third buried it in the ground. And Jesus has harsh words for the person that wants to protect instead of risk. Who doesn't think that God has embedded into the earth the idea of multiplication and cultivation of potential and growth and abundance. God had put it all there. So, can you be like the ant and take initiative and make something happen, risking even if it means you might fail? They are very active in their work. Second, ants are selfless workers. If you want to be wise in your work, you need to think about yourself a little less. Unless you're a DreamWorks movie, ants do not sit around and complain about the job they have. They just do their role, and they know that the other parts of the ants, the other ants are going to do their role, and their colony is going to be well. So you got the worker drones, or the worker ants, you got the queen ant, and you got the the male drones, and each part has its role, and actually they've studied that, that outside of those roles, ants really solve problems together for the good of the colony. Crazy. We can learn from the ant. They know their role, and I would say they find their sweet spot, and unfortunately they don't get to take a personality test or a spiritual gifts test. They don't get to sit around and contemplate what gives them joy, but but we could. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to tell someone in their life, hey, when you do such and such, I see so much more than just you in that moment. I see God's potential coming through in you. When you are able to work with this, it's not just your work. Multiplying, like, things happen that are huge. And when you do something, do you get energy from it? Do you find yourself less tired when, after you do it than before you did it? Then maybe there's something there because God says in Ephesians 4 that he's given each believer, each and every one of us, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Everyone. So if you know Jesus, he's given you a gift. And it's your job. It's your opportunity, it's your invitation to call it out and see what could happen in the kingdom of God that goes way beyond you. Find your sweet spot. Ants are persistent in their work. If you want to be wise in your work, we need to be persistent and continue to get the job done and finish what we start. Ants don't need intrinsic motivation. They already have it. They don't need to go to a seminar to find it. Parenting uh, experts say that intrinsic motivation is one of the number one success factors and indicators for young people. If you can do something merely for the joy of doing it or the necessity of getting it done, 
you will be successful in life. And it says, the ant has no commander, no overseer, and no ruler. It just does its work. Not only is it persistent, it's planful or it's focused in its work because it stores its provisions in the summer and it gathers its food at the harvest. The ants make a plan and then they work the plan. They don't just work hard, they do work smart. And we're invited to get this wisdom from the ants too, of knowing what we want and going after it. God invites us into that kind of a relationship with him to contemplate those things. The ants never obsess about yesterday. They never worry about tomorrow. And they never simply live for the moment with no consideration for the future. Man, I wish that was true in my life. I'd love to stop obsessing about yesterday or worrying about tomorrow. God says we can learn from the ant. And finally, they are steady in their work. They know how to manage their pace. So this lady named Debbie Castle from the University of South Florida, she actually, I bet she got a grant for this. She, she and a team of colleagues started studying the sleeping habits of ants to see what they could discover, what wisdom they could find from it. It's kind of interesting what they found, though. The, the worker ants, because here's the deal. The male drones, all they have to do is fertilize the egg, and then they die a couple weeks later. But the, the female workers, they actually do a lot of jobs. They have soldier jobs. They have worker jobs, they gather the food, and these ants, they found live for six months, maybe a year, sometimes even three years, and they sleep um, in these little 250 short naps throughout their day, but they're ants, so, you know, 250 little naps, which equates to um, four hours and 48 minutes of sleep every day. And none of the workforce is ever, or very few of the workforce is ever sleeping at the same time. That way, 80% of the colony is available. Wouldn't you love to be a worker ant? Maybe you feel like a worker ant. Four hours and 48 minutes of sleep. So the queens, they, as, as fire ants, can, can live six years, but other species can live 30, 40, even 45 years, the longest of any insect. The queens, if there's multiple queens in a colony, they all sleep at the same time. The queens sleep uh, 90 naps per day, and their sleep equates to roughly about nine hours of sleep a day. Huh. I bet she got a grant for this, right? <laughs> like, gee, the worker ants that sleep four hours and 48 minutes, they die within a year or two, but the queen ants, they get nine hours of sleep. They live six, 10, 30 years they know how to manage their pace. There are a numerous studies of the benefits of sleep, but God tells us at the beginning that the one who never sleeps and never slumber, according to Psalms, finished his work at creation, looked over it, not only called it good, but stopped and called it holy. In Hebrew, it's kadosh or kadesh. It means this place of stop. It means this place of holy. If you see in the journey of the Israelites through the desert wilderness, they stop at this place of kadesh. And God invites them from this place of rest to go survey the land. And they come back and say, oh, we can't do it. They were never supposed to do it anyway. They were supposed to let God give them the land. But it's when at creation God stops that he first calls things holy. 
I wonder if we haven't been able to call things holy in our lives and see where God is at in them because we haven't been able to stop. What does it look like for you who's probably statistically in the Midwest, and I would say in our culture, more of a workaholic than a lazy person? What does it mean for you to stop? For you to turn off a screen, to not answer the email, to maybe refrain from manual labor, and to take 24 hours of rest. One day, there's still six more to work. You don't have to pick Sunday. You can pick any day you want. I don't think God really cares about the day as much as about giving him honor in the stopping. It's from that place of rest that we are invited to see things as holy. And at at creation, God completed that work. And after creation, the next time that we see that God completes something is in Christ. In John 17, when Jesus says, I've completed the work you've given me to do. And it's from that place that Paul reflects to the people in Philippi because he knows that we can't do this, right? Because left to our own devices, we're killing our lawnmowers. Left to our own devices, we will work without God. But like we sang about a half hour ago, God, your love never gives up. It never gives up on me. It never fails. The reason that God sent Jesus is because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. And he shows us through Christ that Christ says, the Father's always at work. I do nothing on my own. Whatever I see my Father doing, that's what I do. He is united with God through his life until the end to give us life. That's why I think Paul says to the people of Philippi, that he appeared and humbled himself in obedience to God. And he humbled himself to die on a criminal's cross. But that's from the place that God exalts him to the highest honor and puts his name above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we say yes to God, that's when we're invited to truly work for him. Like Colossians says, whatever we do, we should work at with all our heart as working for God and not for people. Because he invites us not to clock out when we walk into work, but to see our entire lives as glory to him. And in every moment of every day, we have an opportunity to reflect his image in a way that would bring someone else a chance to honor God like Matthew 5 says, that we are the light of the world, like a city on a hill, that we should let our good deeds, our work, shine before others, that they might glorify the Father in heaven. Where are you invited? To work hard? Where are you invited? To stop and work smart. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your wisdom from Proverbs and thank you for the fact that you truly are at work. God, that you are the good, good father, regardless of the images that we have of our earthly dads and our father figures, whether they have failed us or not, God,
you've never failed us. Your love never runs out. Your faithfulness endures upon generation to generation, even through eons and eons of people saying no to you, running away from you. God, you continue to run after us. I pray that your spirit would speak long after I stop. You'd invite us to just take one nugget from this wisdom from either laziness or ants and put it into practice for your good and for your glory. Amen.